This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Clear that up for us, okay? I would like to have a word with whomever decided that would be the text appointed for today. It's one thing to assign different and even strange scriptures to retired clergy filling in while a certain pastor is on paternity leave, but for that pastor to return after a month of sleeplessness, only to dust off the homiletical muscles with the hardest parables, who thought this was a good idea? Apparently I did six months ago when I picked the text for this month. Some fools for Christ are just plain fools. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Even if you've only spent a little time reading the Bible, it's clear that some of the stories of Jesus need an editor's touch, or as we might say in this part of Virginia, they need fixing. Here are a few examples. Uh, the parable of the so-called good shepherd. Jesus says, The kingdom of God is like a shepherd who goes off in search of one lost sheep. It is a quaint little tale. We love to tell it at vacation Bible school every year. But do you know what happens when you leave 99 sheep behind to go find the one that's lost? 99 more lost sheep. It's no way to run a sheep-keeping business. Or there's the parable of the good Samaritan. I think he should be called the dumb Samaritan. This fool comes across a beaten and bedraggled figure by the side of the road, and he picks him up, puts him on his horse, takes him to the Four Seasons, and leaves his Amex card at the, in the hotel lobby. He says, hey, any charges that he rings up, you can put them on my card. That's a bad idea. And then there's perhaps the worst of all, the prodigal. A son commands his father to drop dead, takes his inheritance, squanders it over a weekend in Atlantic City, only to come home with a pitiful repentance worked up in his mind, and his father, the aforementioned father that he told to die, decides to throw him the block party of all block parties before the kid even has a chance to apologize. They don't teach you that in Parenting 101. And then Jesus does it again. The Pharisees, the good religious folk, people like us, they haven't even had time to, to lift their jaws up off the floor when Jesus lights into them with another story. He says, uh, there was a man. He worked for an investment bank. And after a few ill-advised stock purchases, the CEO of the company marches in and says, boy, you're fired. You're out of here. You have till the end of the day to clear out. And I'm going to take a closer look at your books because I want to see what you were really up to. This money manager, he finds himself in the elevator, a cardboard box full of little desk trinkets. He's riding down for the day, and he thinks to himself, what am I going to do? I'm too old to go back to graduate school. I can't go work at Starbucks. But he gets an idea. I still have the company credit card. So he calls up some of his best clients, and he takes them out for lunch. He says, you can have all the wine and all the steak that you want. It's on me. And while we're here, let me pull out my phone. Uh, how much debt are you in? Because I have access, I can, 50%, I'll take the 50% off. Oh, what about you? Oh, I'll knock 20%. And he goes one by one by one. Because he thinks, I might lose my job, but it's good to be friends with people whose debt you've wiped away. And then, Jesus says, the CEO calls up the, the fired money manager, and he congratulates him. You have acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in their dealing with our, our own generation than the children of light. This is not a very responsible story, Jesus. I don't know how I feel about us reading this out loud for people to hear on a Sunday morning. Thank God Stephanie had to read it, and I didn't have to read it. 
Because don't we all agree that the story should end this way? And the CEO called up the fired money manager and rips into him yet again for being such a fool, for being a conniving, no good, dirty, rotten scoundrel. And then Jesus looks out of the crowds and he says, don't be like the dishonest manager. Tell the truth, only the truth. Be kind, be respectful, have manners. But that's not how Jesus ends his story. You know, the parables... The challenge of the parables, this one included, is that Jesus tells them because they're true, not because they're stories for us to necessarily imitate. Good Samaritans, they get taken advantage of. Any shepherd who makes a practice of going after the one lost sheep is quick to go out of the sheep-keeping business. Any father who throws a party for a wayward child is rightly rebuked for encouraging bad behavior. And any money manager who swindles clients or bosses out of money usually will spend time paying for their crime. But the parables aren't about us. The parables are stories that Jesus tells about himself. Which means, oddly enough, Jesus is the shepherd who risks it all on the one who's lost. Jesus is the Samaritan who lavishly helps those down in the ditch of life. Jesus is the father who forgives before apologies are offered. Jesus is the unjust steward. He is the dishonest manager who puts his fingers on the scales in our favor, even though we don't deserve it. Now, don't get me wrong. This is the hardest parable that Jesus tells. Now, for some strange reason, the master in this story, he praises the shrewdness of the steward. In a matter of verses, he goes from wanting to wring the manager's neck to congratulating him for his bizarre intellect. He goes from being an insufferable bookkeeper to the strange celebrator of the good news, and it doesn't make bit of sense. It doesn't make any sense. Just like the shepherd, the Samaritan, the prodigal, these stories, they don't make sense. And I think this one might be truly the worst. Even St. Augustine said that he refused to believe that this story came from the lips of Jesus. Luke himself, the gospel writer, seemed to have a hard time with it because he adds all these little aphorisms at the end that don't really make sense with the rest of the story. And in the other gospels, Jesus says them at different times and Luke kind of puts them here because what are you supposed to do with this? And you know what? All of you said thanks be to God when Stephanie finished reading the story. Are we really thankful for this one? What makes this parable and all the parables so hard is that no preacher can water them down or manipulate them to say something that they don't say. I mean, perhaps, perhaps it would make more sense if the dishonest manager were punished for his crimes or at the very least, the money that he stole from his master that he gave it away to the poor like Robin Hood in the first century. But instead, this unjust steward is a liar, a cheater, a thief, and Jesus says, be like him. Because what he did is amazing. It's amazing as grace. Because grace only works on those it finds dead enough to raise. Just as sure as you and I are in this room right now, the unjust steward was dead. Dead as a doornail. The nails are being put into his vocational coffin. He has lost his job. And with the last breaths of his life, of his job, he chooses it to wipe away the debts of other people. And yet, he's not the only one who dies in the story. I think we often miss that the master dies as well. He dies to all of his bookkeeping, all of his ledger keeping. He throws it away as well. This is such a strange and a bizarre story. It should leave us scratching our heads. But I also think maybe this one should make us laugh. 
Because grace is the divine lark offered to a sin-sick world that is so stuck in sin that we can't even stop to smell and enjoy the roses. This parable is absolutely outrageous. But so is the gospel. Because the gospel is everything for nothing. It's good news for a world that is drowning in bad news. It is life out of death. What makes the parables true is that they describe who God is. Every one of them, from parable seeds to great banquet halls to unjust stewards, they are about the foolishness by which grace raises the dead. These stories that Jesus tells about himself, they describe in weird, wild, and even wonderful ways how God is in the business of making something out of our nothing, of having, making the impossible possible, of making a way where there is no way. Jesus is the unjust steward. Because the misguided money manager, he dies to his career and rises with forgiveness, just like Jesus. By his death and resurrection, he resurrects and makes something new by wiping away the debt for others, just like Jesus. But most of all, the dishonest manager is like Jesus because Jesus is a crook. Now, I bet none of you thought you were going to come to church and hear your pastor say that Jesus is a crook. You know who else didn't think that he'd ever hear those words? Me! But I didn't write the parable. Jesus did. Jesus is a crook. I mean, we often portray how bad Jesus was with our songs and these images that we have of Jesus, but the parables remind us that Jesus and everything he stood for is that grace cannot come through respectability. It cannot come through achievement or perfection. Grace comes only through losing. Grace works for losers and only losers. The only problem is we don't like admitting that we're losers. We don't want to hang out with losers. Nobody wants to hang out with losers. Nobody except for Jesus. He spends his life among the last, the least, the lost, the little, the dead. Jesus is a crook. He breaks the Sabbath, consorts with criminals, sups with sinners. He dies the death of an insurrectionist. Jesus became sin for us sinners, weak for us weaklings, lost for us losers, and even dead for those of us who go around pretending like we've got it all figured out, when the truth is we don't have much to show for our so-called lives. It's almost as if parable after parable after parable, Jesus is begging us to look in the mirror and to see ourselves for who we really are. I mean, have you ever noticed, I don't know if this is true for you, but maybe, have you ever noticed that whenever we read about Jesus coming to save and seek sinners, that when we hear the word sinners, we always think of other people. We don't think about us. Oh, I know that guy who lives down the street. Jesus came for him. Not me. I got it all figured out. I'm perfect. Jesus came to save and seek sinners, which means you and me. Because when it comes to our accounts, our debt to sin is not something we can ever repay. Each and every one of us do things we know we shouldn't do, and each and every one of us avoid doing things we know we should. And it's hard. It's hard to admit the truth of who we are. I think that's actually why we don't like the parables very much. Not because they tell us the truth of God, but because they tell us the truth of us. The parables tell us that you and me, we're a bunch of dumb sheep who are wandering around lost that we are constantly squandering the gifts that God gives us, that we have no hope in the world unless the hope of the world comes to put his fingers on the scales in our favor. Anne Lamott, the great writer Anne Lamott, says it this way, 
She says, we forget that everyone is screwed up, that everyone's broken, clingy, scared. Even the people who seem to have it more or less together, they are just as screwed up as you and I are. Don't let their outsides make you judge your insides. Which, oddly enough, is why the good news really is good. Because in the end, Christ is not interested in role models or moral perfectionists or those who seem to have it all together. Jesus comes for people like you and me. People whose lives are brimming with failure. For those of us who can't find a way out of the mess we've made, Jesus comes to set us free, to find us, to forgive us, to wipe away our debt. It's absolutely outrageous. And it also happens to be the gospel. I'm glad to be back. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.